Friends, it is good to be with you this morning. Thank you for taking some time out of your weekend to join us, especially if it's your first time here, maybe your first time in a long time. My name is Thomas, uh, lead pastor here. We're honored to have everybody with us this morning. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Nathan for doing a masterful job of wrapping up our Overcome series uh, last weekend. Uh, each week during that series, about two or three months in that series, but each week we talked pretty candidly about the giants that we all face in this life, the obstacles, right, the hurdles, the problems, the challenges. And our hope was that week in and week out in that series, that Romans 8.37 just came alive for you. It says this, No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. That was our hope. So no matter, no matter if it was addictions or apathy, anger, fear, failures, whatever it might be that you are facing or, or fighting against, overwhelming victory, my friends, is yours in Christ. If you were uh, away at all this summer, which Coloradans typically are, uh, and you missed a message or two in the series, go back online. Check those out. We want you to, to overcome the giants that you are facing in this life. Hopefully those messages were as encouraging to you uh, as they were to many others. This morning, as Ryan mentioned, a new six-week series. I'm not calling it Ephesians. That's not real creative. Calling it something else. It's in the book of Ephesians, but uh, more on that here in a minute. Let me pray for us as we dive into the Word and we'll get started. God, would you speak to us now as the song uh, we just sang proclaim? Would you speak what is true, God? Because truth in any and every situation is what will set us free. And so would you speak truth now? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me ask you a question to get us started this morning. Have you ever been thoroughly confused by something? Uh, chances are we all have. I mean, life is full of things that can leave us baffled, puzzled, perplexed. Uh, let me give you a few examples. You want to talk about confusing? Try to figure out street signs in downtown L.A., or Santa Monica, for that matter. Uh, you can park here on the first and third Tuesdays of the odd months when the moon is three-quarters full and when your last name has ten letters or less, right? Like F-I-T-Z-P-A-T-R-I-C-K. Ah, nuts! Got to park somewhere else. You want to talk about confusing, uh, try to figure out your sixth grader's new math homework. Not sure if you saw the new Incredibles 2 movie, but I love the scene. The father's helping his son with his math homework, and the dad screams out, Now, why do they have to go and break math like that? You can't change math. You want to talk about confusing? Try to explain Cardi B lyrics or Snapchat or Bitcoin to your grandparents. Uh, or try putting some Ikea furniture together with nothing more than the hieroglyphics or the glorified paperclip that they give you. Like, how, how does this work? There are lots of confusing things in this world, are there not? Uh, my father-in-law just this past week told me about a woman named uh, Donna who was very, very confused about, of all things, street signs, uh, deer crossing street signs in particular. I'm not sure if you've listened to this audio clip online, but millions have. Uh, this particular lady called a radio station a few months back to complain about the sign they just put up in Fargo. She could not fathom why the city would invite the deer to cross in such high traffic areas. She was so confused as to how those signs actually work. She thought it was a license for deer to cross right there. And like they say in the South when they want to make fun of you but not really make fun of you, oh, just bless her heart, right? Just, just bless Donna's heart. There are a lot of confusing things out there and a lot of confused people. And it's one thing to be confused when it comes to street signs, 
but it's another thing entirely to be confused when it comes to your identity. All of us have most likely heard about identity theft, right? When another person illegally has a heyday with your email account, your credit card information, even your social security number, some of us may have even experienced that that horrific crime ourselves. But if you stop and think about it, something that happens more regularly than identity theft is something I'm going to call identity confusion. I'm not talking about when, when someone else claims to be who you are, I'm talking about when you don't really know who you are. Identity confusion happens when you don't completely grasp your true, your your core, your underlying self. And although it might not seem like it, I I would say identity confusion is even more detrimental than identity theft. We're going to call this series, Who Do You Think You Are? Because that is honestly one of the most important questions you could ever ask. Now, chances are we've heard this question uh, posed before, maybe in a movie by some mob boss, right, who's questioning his, his overconfident understudy. Like, who do you think you are? But if I were to ask you that question right now, in this very moment, how would you answer it? What answers would you give? Guys will typically talk about what they do for a living or what they do for fun. All right, I'm a firefighter, a rocket scientist, a pastor at a church, all very similar jobs, by the way. Or, you know, I'm a a skier, a snowboarder, a 12 handicap. That's how a guy might answer that question. Uh, Gals, on the other hand, will typically talk about their familial roles or maybe their passions. I'm a wife, a mother of three who loves to cook or travel or watch shows of people who actually have money to cook and, and travel, right? Who do you think you are? Would you talk about your gender? Would you talk about your family? Would you talk about your job, your passions, your hometown, your faith? I mean, what describes you? What defines you? Who do you think you are? And there are a lot of people, and and in particular a lot of companies out there, who are more than willing to help you answer that question, because if you answer it a certain way, you're going to keep buying everything that they are selling. If you're an Apple junkie, a Starbucks addict, a Broncos fanatic, you will find yourself at every game, you'll always buy the newest eye gadget, or you'll consume the most expensive cup of coffee. Uh, We were in Seattle this past week, and I just learned about reserve Starbucks shops. Has anybody heard about a reserve Starbucks shop? Well, reserve Starbucks shops are like high-end Starbucks shops for coffee connoisseurs. Because the $5 cup of coffee at Starbucks is not expensive enough. You need an $8 cup of coffee over at the reserve shop. But if you're a Starbucks person, if that's part of your identity, you'll drink whatever it is they're selling. You'll pay whatever it is they ask you to pay. Your perceived identity, it truly affects everything in this life. From your spending habits to how you spend your free time to what you say, to what you think about, to what you cruise for or just watch aimlessly on the internet, right? Your perceived identity, it affects your moods, your mental state, your state of mind. I mean, all of that, right? If you think you are this, fill in the blank, then you are inevitably and always going to do this, fill in the blank, right? One is always going to lead to the other. And I don't know this with absolute certainty, but my guess is that a group of people in a city in the first century called Ephesus struggled with this identity question just as much as you and I struggle with it. 
There's a guy named the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest evangelists and preachers uh, in all of human history, lived in the first century right after Jesus died. And he shared the message of Jesus with a bunch of different people. And he started a church in a little town called Ephesus. It wasn't that little, in fact, in the time. But, but the people in Ephesus, I think, were, were struggling with understanding who, who they were. And so Paul asked them in this book called the book of Ephesians, who do you think you are? He asked them this every single chapter. As you're going to see, maybe more than any other book in all of the New Testament, this book has to deal with our identity in Christ. It goes to great lengths that show us, to show us that when we live in Christ, when we understand who our identity is or what our identity is in Christ, and everything else is going to be different. We are going to look and think and feel and speak and spend and look. Everything It's just going to be different when that is your primary identity. Let me show you what I mean. Ephesians 1. If you have a Bible, open it up there. We're going to highlight and read a lot of text. So hang with me. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. This is the plan that at the right time he'll bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance. He makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we, Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard this truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Whew! There's a lot going on there. Let's unpack it and talk about what's happening here. I want to talk about four identity markers that Paul brings up right here at the beginning of this letter to the Ephesians. Chapter one, four identity markers. You are a saved individual. You are a purposed individual. You are a spirit-filled individual. And thus, you should be a worshipful individual. Who do you think you are? That's how you should answer that question. Let's talk about the first. When you ask someone who they are, I don't think I've ever run into somebody whose initial answer off the top was, I'm saved. And if I did run into that person, I probably considered them some sort of like religious kook, right, or, or, or freak, and I passed them off to Ryan as quickly as I possibly could. Like, you need to meet Ryan, one of our ministers. And yet that's exactly how Paul begins this. The most important truth about you is that you are in Christ. That means you are saved. 
That is your primary identity. You are in Christ and you are saved. Verse 13, underline it in your Bibles. The good news that God saves you. Now, in our day, that language is a little weird. It probably was a little weird in Paul's day and age as well. And so what he does is he goes on to unpack and give more analogies and illustrations as to what being saved actually means, all that it entails. To be saved means this, verse 3. You have received every spiritual blessing imaginable. God has never or will never hold anything back from you. Verse 3, we are literally, relationally, spiritually, symbolically, every illy you can think of, united to Christ. We are somehow connected to Him in ways we could never fully fathom. So all that he went through, all that he is, all that he brings about, somehow as we are united in him because we are saved, all of that is true for us as well. Verse 4, you have been chosen by God. You are now holy and blameless in the sight of God. Verse 5, you've been adopted into his family. You're now part of his estate, part of his inheritance. You've been purchased, verse 7, by God. You've been set free from bondage and captivity to sin. Verse 7 continues, you've been completely forgiven of anything and everything that you've ever done wrong. This is what it means to be saved. I mean, the list goes on and on. Paul's just like, you've got to understand, man. You've got to fully grasp how amazing it is that you are saved. It's kind of like this, and it's kind of like that, and it's kind of like this, and it's kind of like that, and it means this, and it means that. He just goes on and on and on, but it, all, it just all means you're saved. You are in Christ and you are saved. So who do you think you are? Well, I'm abundantly blessed. I'm specifically chosen. I'm perfectly holy. I'm completely blameless. I'm lovingly adopted. I'm eternally free and forgiven. That's who I am. The fact that you are a middle-aged father who works at the tech center and likes to go fishing, yeah, 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 whatever. Those identity markers fail in comparison to these This is who you are if and when you are in Christ. Now, I wish we had time to dive deeper into each of those. I mean, we could just take a a week on each one of those truths, could we not? But I want to challenge you. Take a picture of this, go online and watch it again if you need to, but go through each one of these identity markers this week. Just spend some time each day just sitting with each one of those truths. That's who you are in Christ. That's your identity right there. I want to just go into depth and into one, just because it's just, so, it's just so incredible to me. Take, for example, the truth that in Christ, because you are saved, you've been adopted. We've had several close friends over the years go through the adoption process, and there's just nothing easy about it. If you've ever gone through it or watched somebody go through it, it's a very difficult trying process, is it not? First, they had to go through all these tests and assessments to see if they were good fits, and they had to wait several months before they could fly out to Ethiopia to, to visit the kids. And they had to wait seven months. After they flew back home, they had to wait seven more months before they could go back and take the kids home with them yet again. I mean, it was years and years in the making, and it cost thousands and thousands of dollars. And at times, I was like asking my friends, why are you doing this? This is such a ridiculous, laborious process. Why, why do it? And then, and then I saw this video of how it happened. Watch this. Are you gonna make it? Yeah. 
That's why you do because eventually you know you're going to be together. And friends, the truth of Ephesians 1 is that that very thing has happened to each and every one of us, for each and every one. Those who are in Christ, those who are saved, have been adopted. We've been chosen, picked, selected by the great God of the universe. And if you think international adoptions are difficult, well, try heavenly ones. I mean, God has been working out the details of your adoption since the beginning of time. More on that in just a minute. He's gone through every hoop imaginable, heaven and hell, and everything in between to get everything just right. And he was willing to pay the highest price anyone could possibly pay, the very life of his own son. Why? Because one day he cannot wait to be with you. He wants to be with you forever. I love that video because the mom, she just can't stop touching him. I'm like, I just got to touch you and hold you. I just got to kiss you. Will it be awkward if Jesus is like that to us in heaven? Like, just get over here. like kissing my face and touching my bald head. Hopefully I can grow hair in heaven. But I don't know, right? But he's going to be so excited to finally be with you. Because he's been working out your adoption for a long, long time. And one day it's going to come to fruition. Who do you think you are? 
you're saved. You're an adopted child of God. That's who you are. That brings us to the second major identity marker in this text, the fact that we are purposed individuals. Who do you think you are? Well, I'm part of a, a plan. I'm, I'm a purposed individual. See, sometimes life can look or, or feel rather random, can it not? Chaotic, kind of out of control, accidental. From the good stuff to the bad stuff, it, sometimes it just feels like luck or, or happenstance or right place, right time, wrong place, wrong time. It's kind of what dictates what happens in this world. But my friends, nothing could be further from the truth. In Ephesians 1, Paul makes it very clear. We serve a God of the past, present, and future. Meaning, we serve a God who has a plan. A God who is in control of all things. He was at work at the very beginning of time. He's at work right now in this moment in time. And he's going to work out everything for good throughout all of time. You've got to hear that again, because I'm not sure that we, we truly appreciate or fathom it. God was at work at the beginning of time. He is at work right now in your life in this moment in time. And the promise is that he will continue to work out all things for good throughout all of time. This is what Paul says, verses 4 and 5. Even before he made the world, God loved us. And he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Verse 5, God decided long ago in advance to adopt us. Verses 9 and 11, God has now revealed to us his, his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. Oh, and this is the plan, just in case you didn't think he had one. At the right time, he'll bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God. He chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Nothing is accidental. Nothing is, is coincidental. It's all part of a plan, a purpose that God has. I'm not much of a planner. Uh, in fact, I'm really, really bad at it. Uh, Becca will bring up something to me that we have going on maybe next month, and I, I'm assuming the blank stare on my face shows her I have no idea what she's talking about because I don't even know what I'm doing later that day, let alone later that, that week or that month. Right? She'll be like, so uh, in the beginning of September, and I'm like, bloop, 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 beginning of September. What is September? What is September? Right? I don't plan very well, but I will tell you this. When certain things come along in my life that are important enough, well, I can even make a plan for that. Case in point, the guy's golf weekend I have coming up in a couple of weeks. You better believe I'm planning on that. I'm practicing my rounds, right? I'm putting together my, my outfits already. I know it's kind of lame. I'm sorry. Here's my man card. But I'm super excited for my, my golf weekend. You better believe I'm planning it out, man. I'm thinking about it before it happens. I'm going to soak it up when it happens. And if I destroy my boys, which I'm hoping I will do, I'm going to keep talking about it for the rest of time. It's, it's, it's so important to me. There's preparation leading into it. There's enjoyment in the moment. There's reflection back afterward. It matters to me. Well, that, that's how it is with God and with you and with the church and with heaven. See, those things are so important to God. He's been planning on them and making plans for them for all of eternity past. Things don't catch God off guard. Stuff doesn't throw God for a loop. Phrases like oops or what 
or I didn't see that one coming. Those don't ever come out of the mouth of the Lord. Everything is part of God's plan. And I'm not talking about the Drake song, okay? I'm just, I'm just not. Thank you, teens. A few of you got that reference. I'm still kind of cool. The rest of these people are not, obviously. But it's all part of God's plan. I love the language in Ephesians 1. Back in the beginning, God was thinking about this. Right now, this is kind of where we're at in the process. And later, this is how it's all going to come to fruition. Back in the beginning, God was thinking about this. In Jesus right now, this is happening in your life. And in later, heaven and earth and everything will be brought back together. Paul is saying, you're, you're part of a plan. You are purposed. You are here right now. You have the talents and passion that you have right now because God wants you to have them. Because God wants you to be here. Nothing is coincidental. Nothing is accidental. And so you, you just need to keep that in mind. When it looks like things aren't working out or when things don't make much sense or even if you think that the world and your life are just spinning out of control, but that's just not true. You are purposed. You are purposed. You are part of a great plan, one that began long ago, one that is moving still in this very moment and one that's going to come to fruition later. One author said it this way, Christians are people who live in the present because they are founded in the past and they are pulled by the future. We live right now in this moment on a foundation of what God did in the past and we are being pulled toward what God's about to do in the future. You are a purposed individual. That, that's, that's who you are. And one of the coolest parts of God's plan and God's purpose for you is to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a gift that he generously gives to anyone and everyone who's in Christ. Who do you think you are? You are spirit-filled, according to Paul, verses 13 and 14. When you believed in Christ, God identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. Have you ever been overly excited to give somebody a gift? Maybe it was a birthday they'd been looking forward to or, or maybe a significant graduation of some sort, maybe a romantic anniversary gift, and you held on to this one present. for something. you got to open it, open, 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 open. You, I, I know you're going to love it. You just got to open this. Please just open it right now. Go, 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 right? You, you ever been in that situation? That's exactly how God feels when it comes to the Holy Spirit. He cannot wait to give you this one particular gift. Now, we don't have much time to go into all the details of the Holy Spirit in this, uh, this moment, in this particular message. We did do an entire series on the Spirit called Limitless several months ago. So go back online and check that out if that excites you or if you want to learn more. But let me just say a couple of things uh, right now. Whether you realize it or not, you are a spiritual being. Now, I'm not discounting the physical. The physical is very important. We're not saying one is good and one is bad. The physical is very important. That's why Jesus took on the physical. That's why he said he's going to resurrect the physical one day. But at your core, you are a spiritual being. Your spirit is really who you are, like what defines you. But because of, of sin and, and all of this, uh, our spirits are a little tainted. They're a little, a little twisted. So I'm representing this by this, this black cup of, of goo. This is kind of what is inside of us because of sin and, and selfishness and, and stupidity. It, it's our spirit. It, it's darkened, the scripture says. Some authors in the, in the Bible even go so far as to say that our spirit is dead. That on our own, and again, because of sin, 
what is inside of us is not pretty. And it's, it's not productive for life in any way. In fact, it just takes life away from us. And that, that's why God is so giddy about giving us the Holy Spirit. Hopefully I can do this without totally wrecking things up on stage. So this is the Holy Spirit, and God wants to just pour it into you because he knows that if you can pour enough of the Holy Spirit into you, all of that dead, gross spirit that was inside of you, man, it'll be, it, it's gone. Like, and now what's inside of you is life. You with me? And so from the moment your, your cup turned black because of sin, God has been giddy to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit because he wants to fill you with life. There are so many passages that speak to this. 2 Corinthians 3, it's one of my favorite though. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? That's what the Holy Spirit does is he gives life to you. And so God has wanted to give you that Holy Spirit like a, like a fiance has wanted to give a ring, right? Or a father's wanted to give a car or whatever the gift is. He just, you gotta have it right now. I've been working so hard on this. You're gonna love it. That's God and the Holy Spirit because he knows that if we remove that spirit of, of deadness inside of you and put a new spirit of life inside of you, then everything, everything's gonna be different. And here's the fact. Here's, here's the truth of the matter. If you have ever said, Jesus is Lord, if you've ever said that, the scripture says, this is your new reality. You do not have to worry or question or wonder if that's happened for you or not, or if you still have the black inside of you or whatever. No, 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 no. This is you. You cannot say, Jesus is Lord without the infusion of the Holy Spirit. This has happened to you. Now, maybe the world is trying to pour some of that stuff back into you. Maybe you just need a little bit more, some fresh. Go ahead, ask, Jesus says. Ask for more of the Spirit. He'll continually pour more into you. Who do you think you are? You're a spirit-filled individual. And that's kind of a big deal because he's kind of a big deal. Ephesians 1 continues, verses 19 and 20. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This spirit is the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. The spirit that is in you, the new life-giving spirit that is in you, it's the very power of God. It's the God that breathed, or the power of God that breathed life into the world at the very beginning, and the power of God that breathed life into Jesus after the cross. So don't tell me you can't get through this. Don't tell me you can't get over that. You have God's life giving death, death defeating, death defeating, and at times death defeating as well, power in you. That's who you are. You are a spirit-filled individual. And that brings us to the last one, and then we'll get you out of here. This gift of the Holy Spirit, this empowerment of, of life that is now literally inside of us, the knowledge of our salvation and, and adoption, the fact that we are part of an eternal plan that nothing can thwart, all of that should make us worshipful individuals, don't you think? I'm not sure if you've noticed this or not, but as we read the text, it's as if Paul wants to bust out in song after every single verse. He wants to have a worship service as he's writing the letter. Songs and praise and worship are on the tip of Paul's tongue every moment in this book, especially chapter 1, verse 3. All praise to God, he says. Verse 6, and so we praise God. Verse 14, he did this so we would praise and glorify him. 
as a saved individual, as a purposed individual, as a spirit-filled individual, you should unashamedly, unapologetically be a worshipful individual. Praise and worship should be constantly coming out of your mouth. You with me? The last few weeks, we have asked you as a church leadership to fill out a worship survey for us. The heart behind that is to see what forms of worship most edify you, most encourage you, what forms you connect with. Uh, But there's something intrinsically wrong with the survey. I knew it from the beginning. What we do in this space fails in comparison to what's happening in this space. What we do in this space fails in comparison to what you think about in this space. You with me? External changes will never make up for or cover up internal convictions or the lack thereof. External changes and internal, they're not even on the same playing field. The music isn't nearly as important as your mindset. Who do you think you are? That's why we're told to worship in spirit and in truth, because when you know the truth, you can't help but worship. I feel like the Lord last week said to me, Thomas, you want to know what makes a great worship service? A church filled with grateful people who can't help but worship. Sure, we'll tweak some things if, if we need to, but when you know, when you believe, when you trust when you live in and live out of the fact that you are a saved, adopted, blessed, loved, redeemed, purposed, forgiven, cleansed, spirit-filled child of God, I should never have to ask you if you want to worship. I should be in a place where I got to literally shut the lights off on you because you won't stop worshiping. Like, y'all, I am hungry. It's two o'clock. I need some Qdoba. Go worship at your own house. That's how it should be, my friends. I don't care if it's loud or quiet. I don't care if it's new or old. I don't care if it's short or repetitive. I don't care if it's 60 minutes or 160 minutes. I don't care if it's choral or band-led. Understanding who you are will naturally cause you to erupt in praise. And if we lead it with the guitar, sing along. If we lead it with some Gregorian monks chanting, chant along. If we lead it with the choir, listen up. Because you are a worshipful individual. I don't care what it looks like or how it sounds or what way it's led. You cannot stop singing God's praise when you know who you are. Sorry, just got off a little bit. So, There's so many other things we could talk about here in Ephesians chapter 1, but, but here's why I'm not. I'm not going to go down the predestination now, right? Chosen in him, predestined, all this stuff. You could talk about that. There's other things we could talk about in chapter 1. This is, this is why we're not doing that, because what happens here in Ephesians chapter 1 is what happens in our worship services as well. We take something really small and we magnify it and make it really big when, when it's just not meant to be that way. We take something that's kind of like secondary and we make it primary. You with me? We take something and we focus entirely on it. The focus of chapter one is God and what he has done for you. He has made you a saved individual. 
You are a purposed individual because of him. You are a spirit-filled individual because of him. And you should be a worshipful individual because of him. Don't get distracted with other things, okay? Don't let rabbit trails take you down a route where you got to know all this stuff and understand predestination. No, 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 no. This is about God and what he has done for you in Christ. So, who do you think you are? I hope, and I've been praying all week that after this message, maybe you'd answer that question differently than maybe you would have when you first walked in. Let me close by saying this, though. If you have never confessed your faith in Christ, if you have never publicly said or prayed, Jesus, I believe in you, and I make you Lord of my life, then, Georgia, put up this slide. These are not true for you. If you have never said, I want to be in Christ, and I want Christ to be in me, this is not your reality. This is for those who are united to Jesus. But here's the thing, my friend. You can be united with him right now. Nothing is stopping you. Nothing is holding you back from making this your reality. So I'm going to pray for us. And if you've never said this out loud or prayed this with somebody, I'm going to encourage you to come and find me right after service, right down here at the front, so we can make this your reality. Who do you think you are? That's who you are, Christian. But it's only true for Christians. So make that your reality this morning. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for being an incredible God. All praise and glory to your name. You are greater than all other gods combined. There is no one like you in heaven above or earth below, God. And this morning in Ephesians, we thank you for Paul's writings, for the truth that you put on that mind, that man's heart and mind to tell us who we are. Because if this week, God, if we fully fathomed who we are, if we just, even just the slightest bit, understood and relished in the fact that we are saved, we are purposed, we are spirit-filled, and we are worshipers, God, if we would just live out of that identity, then everything would be different. Our homes, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, Littleton as a whole, God, it it would be so different if the people in this room right now truly fathomed who they are. Help us to put secondary identity markers to the side. I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care what your passions and talents are. I don't really care what your hobbies are. I care about who you are in Christ. And for those who are not yet in Christ this morning, I pray that right now you will make their heart beat so hard that they feel it in their chest. And they have to come forward and claim these new identities for themselves. Make it so now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.